You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 380, being a vegan is no joke at Waitrose, love the sport, hate the gambling, and Juliet goes to see the Manfreds and Georgie fame. That's all coming up after Kate Bush and Hammer Horror.
or someone suggested that I play this on my Indie Wonderland All Halloween Spooky Special, the Halloween Spooktacular on uh, on Wednesday evening, and I had to oblige. What a great tune that is! Uh, th- th- just saying the two words, I hadn't heard it in years, and just saying the words Hammer Horror makes me think of Kate Bush. I can so imagine her saying them. That is great. Hammer Horror by Kate Bush. Well, I spent Halloween night at Stamford Bridge watching Chelsea play Derby County. A true horror show, ha ha ha. Well, it would have been a night of horror <laughs> if Derby hadn't gifted us two own goals, mm. which was very generous. Um, and by the way, Jules, also in our ongoing series of You Paid How Much? Oh, um, gosh, yes, do, do tell. Two half-sized bottles of water inside mm. the ground, £6.60 the pair. Oh, for goodness sake, £3.30 each. £3.30 so that each. Is, that is, you know... Two pence per milliliter, I assume, or something ridiculous. No wonder Premier League clubs are awash with money. That's what I well, say. Well, quite, yeah. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 380. I'm Terence Dackham, and she came in through the bathroom window, protected by a silver spoon. She's Juliet Harris. Actually, I came from a semi-detached house and my uh, my bathroom has no windows. But thank you nonetheless for your, uh, as ever, on-point observations. Yes. Hello, everyone. Rather inaccurate, then, it turned out. Uh, well, you know, what could I say? I, I, I have no further comment to make at this time. It was only last week we were talking about political correctness gone mad. Yes, um, absolutely. Relation- and had, and had oh, the wrong positions. We had each other's positions. I on know, this it's episode. very confusing for everybody. Um, that was in, just in relation to several stories, including clean exchange in the name of their men-sized tissues and so on. <laughs> I, I think it's increasingly difficult to tell where the line is drawn between a joke, often referred to as banter... Bans, yeah, top bands. Yeah, we know all about this. Yes. Hello, there's Sir Philip Green and your banter, and offensive remarks and behaviour. Um, this week, after the terrible helicopter crash at Leicester, the BBC Sport editor made some private off-air comments. Of course, caught on smartphone footage that were rather tasteless and ill-judged uh, if seen in a public context. But he was talking privately. It does look like Dan Rowan will survive this, at least at the time that we're recording in, in terms of his career. Later in the week, William Sitwell, editor of the supermarket Waitrose, uh, their in-house magazine, sent a jokey response by email to a freelance journalist who had pitched to Sitwell about running a series on meat-free dishes Though clearly joking, Sitwell did respond rather tastelessly uh, again about killing vegans and making them eat steak and so on. These remarks were in private emails that found their way to BuzzFeed and then right throughout the media. Next thing we know, William Sitwell has stepped down from his job with immediate effect. Now, Jules, are people now to lose their jobs over one ill-judged remark... Are both of these two, Rowan and Sitwell, pariahs who should be sacked? Get them out. And also, why is one gone and not the other? Well, it's funny, isn't mm. it? I mean, they do work for different publications mm. with, with or, or different sort of firms with different standards. I don't know, different organisations with different standards. I'm not sure. Interesting parallel I thought about, about mm. Rowan's remarks. Um was that uh, you might remember of course uh, some years ago now uh, Ron Atkinson's mm. off colour and racist remarks and I know I, I'm not saying that Dan Rowan's remarks were openly no. racist although I think there's some cultural insensitivity insensitive yes, yes, there um, you know alongside the fact that that poor chap's just died but anyway um, Ron Atkinson made various racist or lazy off colour remarks um, 
on, on what he didn't think he was live on ITV, no. and it turns out it was live on a feed somewhere in a different country. And uh, I can't remember if he if he jumped or was pushed, but basically he did not survive that. Mm. Um, I think this is incredibly poor taste. Yes, it was said off air, but I think it is pretty embarrassing to be honest. Um, the 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 Sitwell thing. I think the reason why Sitwell has gone and Rowan hasn't. I think this mm. is if you want to apply logic, mm. which I don't. I know we don't really live in a logical age, but if we can try and apply logic here. Um, so Rowan's remarks were off camera. They were off air. Yes, they yes. weren't acceptable at all. But they they were taped on someone's smartphone. But that you know not meant for broadcast mm. essentially. William Sitwell's response was a response in a professional arena. Now, you might mm. say it wasn't a professional response, but it was a genuine pitch and inquiry from a young journalist. So it was someone that was, um, that was you know, sending an email in a work context. Yeah, and he then, although he, you know, it was a joke, you know, he clearly wasn't being serious, it was still sent back in a professional context it was mm. sent to someone that wanted work and i don't think that's acceptable also there was i have to say i know i always refer to other podcasts and particularly this podcast but mm. uh, stephen bush and helen lewis had a very interesting conversation about this on the new statesman podcast oh, right. which i heard last night it's very interesting and helen lewis kind of took the oh it's again they had each other's possessions uh, positions <laughs> helen lewis took the kind of oh it's clearly just a joke kind of position mm. and stephen bush said it's really un it's really not sensible of all the things he said i am that bougie that i read what he chose for magazine and he mm. said the thing is is that actually it wasn't an unsensible pitch. It was, he said, mm. it's the sort of thing, the idea of veganism is the sort of thing that Waitrose readers would probably be quite interested in, not least because Waitrose customers have a level of social conscience. And there's quite a lot around veganism and, and climate change and that sort of thing. And I think we might all have to reevaluate how we live our lives within the next 12 to 15 mm. years. But what was interesting was that, that it was it was very sort of a poor quality it wasn't really it wasn't really appropriate but they were sort of saying and i think this is where you know everyone's a villain the poor girl that tried to get this you know published and then he went back and had a go at her about it she then pitched it to buzzfeed and said oh well, do you want this article about why everyone hates vegans so much and by the way they hate them so much that i pitched this to the guy at waitress and this is what he said and buzzfeed then went oh um no, we don't want your article, but oh, we're going to run this as a news mm. item, but then didn't pay her a pitch fee, oh, so oh. so or didn't give her a sort of a lead yeah, fee or, yeah. or a tip off fee. So that's pretty poor, really. So yes, mm. this broke's been quite poor, but there's clearly a lot of it about. There's also been allegations in the uh, popular weekly email of Pop Bitch today that um, that uh, the, the Sitwell had a bit of a a poor reputation generally of, of mm. coming back after rather long and, and relaxed lunches, shall we say, and making comments about room smelling of certain things and, and really being quite unpleasant, according to Top Popbitch. So mm. it would seem like, perhaps to some extent, Sitwell had it, Sitwell's quote-unquote jokes had been tolerated, quote-unquote tolerated for quite some time, I think. I can... I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? I, I think that, you know, Rowan's, joke, Rowan's jokes were really completely inappropriate, but they mm. were off air. But having said that, as someone that has worked in pretty toxic office environments, often male-dominated toxic mm. office environments, it's, I don't want to go to work and hear that. I'm sick of, of, sick of having to sit mm. through people's entertaining, uh, would-be entertaining jokes that are just vile and unpleasant. And, I, you know, I don't get why people think it's appropriate to behave like that in the workplace, really. And I've just... I've just had enough of it, really. So, no, I don't think it's political correctness gone mad. It's 
I don't I don't understand why people people behave like that in a workplace. I don't understand why they don't, can't have a filter on what jokes are appropriate to make with people that you at the end of the day work with and what jokes aren't. There were certain jokes that, you know, I, I don't know, unpleasant jokes, but, you know, I might be a little bit more sardonic amongst members of my family or friends that knew me well that know I'm joking and that know, know that I, you know, again, that I'm not, you know, I, I feel that you should be professional with people that you work with. Well, I'm very keen that we should pick up on what may seem smaller examples of bad judgment, like our Kleenex man size discussion last week, and make mm. sure that we don't just dismiss situations because they're, you know, it's always been that way. But I think in a week where decades of questionable, questionable behaviour by a wealthy British businessman yeah. really do need substantial investigation, it it just feels. It seems excessive to me to be seeking to sack people from their jobs. And, and, and I mean, Rowan and Sitwell, for one, each of them, relatively minor misjudgment. All well, but I think, I think the case of Sitwell seems mm. to suggest there have been reports suggesting that it isn't just but, that one thing. But, but, Jules, to be fair, that's on pop bitch. It's not, you know, I well, mean, it may I be true. They're, but, they're more often right than mm. they are wrong, I would but say that. All these people on social media calling for both of them to be dismissed, I just do wonder, and you, you alluded to it there yourself, have none of them ever said something in private that they would be mortified if it became known to the wider yes, world? but it, I don't think a work situation is no. a private situation. That's the point I'm making. Well, OK, it, it, it was a work situation, but I just wonder... And whether particularly for Sitwell, particularly for Sitwell. Well, I, on, I, I do admit they're, they're slightly different. On Sitwell, OK, but on Sitwell, did that journalist that pitched the vegan idea to him um, really need to give BuzzFeed that exchange of emails and ruin a man's career? Couldn't she have? Surely it's a massive overreaction. Surely tell him you're unhappy, by all means, ask to speak to him. But to drive him out of his job over this one incident, well, it just I seems mean, too much. I mean, to be fair, though, my feeling, and I know that what I take mm. your point, Repop Bitch, and my feeling is is that is that Waitrose were quite quick to get mm. rid of him. They were really quite quick to get rid of him over something that, like you say, was relatively mm. insubstantial. And I do think that if he had apologised for it, and, you know, they could have said, this is extremely embarrassing, thanks to BuzzFeed picking it up, and this woman to alerting us, you know, we are dealing with this internally. The fact that I don't believe they just sacked him over that. I think right. it was the last straw. Right. That's my that's my gut feeling on this. Okay. Gambling commercials appear in 95% of all TV ad breaks during live football matches here in the UK. That's more Ray Winston than anybody. Really I knows, don't like those odds <laughs> at all. And that subject <laughs> is next after Ra Ra Riot. Thank you. 
New York and this is a track from their fourth and most recent album Need Your Light and it's their most popular single to date. It's being used for TV commercials for plumbing services. I knew I'd heard it from somewhere, mm. that makes sense. And that's Ra Ra Riot and Water. Not to be confused with Ra Ra Rasputin although I have to say, <laughs> very very much enjoying, um, I'm sort of slightly living my life with you saying the words Ra Ra Riot. I, there, there's just something about you saying them that's so pleasing. <laughs> What was it? Ra Ra Rasputin, Russia's greatest love machine. Wasn't yeah, it? well, I mean, you know, oh, oh, yeah, exactly. Um, I, did, I did have a friend that we used to nickname St. Nena's greatest love machine, who was who had a name that was like Rasputin, but not. So, uh, so yeah. So he he was. Um, it was a shame how he carried on. I always enjoyed that that level of understatement in Boniem's uh, hit classic Ra Ra Rasputin. The only the only Leninology that you will ever need, frankly. It was it was yeah. It was it was you know what. My it's up there. My favourite levels of understatement. It was a shame how he carried on, murderous Rasputin. Also, the um, there was a football team. One of the South American women's football team lost very heavily at one of the. Um, they might have been Bolivia or someone or Argentina possibly lost very heavily during a World Cup some years ago. Mm. And uh, I 
remember the manager bit. The, the the goalkeeper scored two own goals, including one where she managed to throw the ball into her own net, which I'm still not quite sure how that happened. And they asked the manager to you know, obviously sum up afterwards, and he said our goalkeeper had a most unfortunate day. <laughs> and I just thought that just you know whenever you, I've had one of those days where I feel like I've uh, I've um, I've thrown a ball into my own net. I've had a most unfortunate, most unfortunate day. day. Over here in the UK for about uh, 10 years now, we have had the rather sinister, in the context of his appearance in these ads, um, you mentioned him, the sinister appearance of the actor Ray Winston. Or rather the disembodied head of this Ray Winston. I find that hard. It's, uh, it's not good, is it? No, really? he, he looms. That's what he does. He looms up mm. on television in commercial breaks, supporting live sports events, particularly football, and growling at us that we'll only really be able to relate to the action if we join him in placing bets with the gambling company that paid I, him to I, appear. I enjoy it when he goes, hold up, there's oh. something coming from... I mean, to be fair, it's still better than his performance as Henry VIII on ITV, <laughs> of, of come here and put your head on this block fame. But um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm, uh, I do... I, again, I struggle with uh, with Ray, Win- Ray Winstone's... Yes. Um, you know, Ray Winstone's unveiled threat that bad things are going to happen unless I put £5 on Ipswich to score in the first 10 minutes of the second half. <laughs> As I mentioned just before Ra Ra uh, Riot there, gambling ads appear in 95% of TV ad breaks during live football Which matches in the shocking. UK. Which is shocking. That is such terrible. a, as you say, not, odd, not good odds. Goldsmiths University researchers found uh, more than 250 separate gambling adverts on screen in one game, mostly on shirts, hoardings and boards behind post-match interviews. All of these appear, it's even on the BBC on Match of the Day. Well, uh, which it, was, is, it would be quicker to, I was talking about this with someone the other day and we were saying it would be quicker to name the shirt sponsors. My mum was asking, I think, mm. who sponsored who. And me and my dad said it would be quicker to name the football teams who aren't sponsored by gambling companies are than it would be to un- to name the ones that were. You're so right. I, I was researching this earlier today and I, I actually put a note on a post-it note here. 17, hmm. 17 out of the 24 championship clubs have shirt sponsors oh, who so are ridiculous. gambling companies. It's, it's oh, 75%, that, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much or something pretty, like that. Yeah, it would be. Not far off that, um, yeah. And of course, you know, much of this live football match of the day and so on is watched by children. Now, several of my friends, particularly those that share my love of horses mm. and horse racing think i'm rather odd in that um i really love football and i mean i'm surprised you carried on with that yeah i think i'm rather odd i could have stopped there and most people think i'm rather (laughs) odd full stop that's the end of the podcast i mean Um, i was gonna say it's it's not been vintage but never mind at least we turned up but uh I, i can't abide the huge pressure uh, to gamble on these events, football and horse racing. Mm. It, and, and, and people think that I'm, I'm odd, that that's my belief, is what, what I was tr- uh, saying. Now, there's an unsubtle... Trying to say before I interrupted no, you, yes, I know not, that's not where not you're going. Yeah. No, no, no. There's an unsubtle notion that you can't possibly enjoy these sporting occasions without having some sort, whether small or large... A um, flutter. A, a flutter, money wagered on the game or horse race or whatever. This week, the sports minister, Tracy Crouch, resigned on principle over the delays in reducing the stakes on those awful betting machines. Uh, we've mentioned them way back in another podcast mm, a couple mm. of years ago. In betting shops, uh, Miss Crouch wanted the maximum stake to be reduced from £100 to £2. Yeah. Fixed odds betting turn, fixed or, 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 or FOBTs. Yes, FOBTs, they, they call them. One role of the machine, uh, by the way, I mean, imagine gambling £100 a go on what is essentially a glorified fruit machine. It's extraordinary. And you can do it, and you can do it literally, like, within... Se- I mean, within I think seconds. they said that some, yeah. someone once lost two grand within two minutes. Yes, I know. insane like that. Now, our deathly uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer has delayed this reduction 
him to two pounds to <laughs> yes uh, uh, to dancing Phil Hammond dancing yeah. Phil Hammond to um, October 2019. Now I salute Tracy Crouch for taking her stance over this. It's terrible. It really is terrible, Jules. Uh, that the, the the TV companies, football clubs, and the government are complicit in promoting an addictive agony to people, including children, at every single major major sporting event. Well, yes, I couldn't agree more. Firstly, I am I was sorry to hear of the resignation of mm. Tracy Crouch, not because I don't think she should have done it. I completely, completely agree. Mm. And she took a very brave stand. I had a text from my mum that simply read Tracy Crouch for PM at one point, uh, which quite entertained me. But she, she was someone that seemed to be genuinely, un- unusually for this administration, she seemed to be genuinely good at and engaged with her job as mm. sports minister. Um, she is a qualified women's football coach, I believe, and coaches girls' teams oh, and, is, and is genuinely interested. Mm. She's also done good work as the Minister for um, Civil Society and Loneliness, particularly. She, the, the Joe Cox thing she, she's taken mm. on, which I think is brilliant. And I'm so sorry that she's resigned. Um, she's resigned as Sports Minister. I don't know if she's resigned that part of her brief as well. It might well be taken off her because Theresa May does seem someone that is like that. But anyway, yes. I, um, I, I'm, she did a, an incredibly principled thing, I mm. think, and I, I, you know, I admire her for doing that. And why is it always the case that the people in government that are very principled are the ones that end up, the good ones, or end up being principled and resigning, and the ones that are really rubbish at their jobs lie and lie and just hang on, it would seem. Um, you know, as, as, as the New States and always, John Elliott in the New States always says you can't call him Liam Fox you have to call him disgraced minister mm. Liam Fox because so many things have gone wrong and yet you've got good people like Tracy Crouch who are on top of their briefs resigning out of principle because they're, they're completely undermined by the people above them and I agree I think it stinks that that you know that, that the government is being held to literally held to ransom by these you know gambling companies and, and goodness knows what and actually I'm one of those slightly unusual people who you know under, speaking of understatement of the century, the mm. war in Iraq was not ideal. Yes, we all know this now, and it wasn't <laughs> a good idea, and no. I, I wish it hadn't happened. But actually, one of the things that the new Labour government did, they did a lot of good things, I think, which is an unfashionable view, I know, mm. but I think they did do some things that were very good. But so uh, one of my biggest regrets of that government, I do think that they brought in FOBTs, and I think it was naive. I think mo- most of Labour's that Labour administration's mistakes, I think, were naive rather than mm. truly evil. Mm. But I do think it was extremely naive and I do think it was wrong to bring that in and I, I don't think they should have done I believe Harriet Harwin had some involvement of culture, as culture minister and I really don't think they should have done that I think it was a mistake and I think it's the sort of thing that needs to be reversed and it surprises me in a way being a political cynic that the Tories haven't moved quicker on that because it would be a perfect stick to beat Labour with to mm. say look you know we, 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 we're the ones that have been responsible over this you haven't uh, but I mean I, you know I, I, I think it's I, I do think it stinks I think much of this present government administration stinks to be honest and um, and this is yet another example of weakness, incompetence malevolence however you want to slice it it's not good I was looking at a report this week about online gambling, which seems to that we're, there seems to be no controls whatsoever no, over that. No, and it's like the it's like the wild west. It, it really is. It's, it's, it's probably the big, biggest problem of all facing regulators because it's beyond regulation. And well, absolutely, what, as is online generally. I would argue, yes, as, true. anything really. Mm. When you find um, Ipsos Mori recording a poll that says ten uh, percent of all teenagers—that's from thirteen uh, to eighteen in this poll—admit um, to gambling 
gambling on unregulated casinos or e-sports betting <sighs> online, then we yeah, have a terrifying it's, problem. It's, it is. And, and even going into the idea of apps and gaming and, and, and kids getting thrown into video games, you've got things like um, Xbox Live and whatever that is and yes. stuff like that. And also, I mean, you occasionally get these kind of moral panics over iPhone app games. I almost accidentally spent seventy nine ninety nine on Cooking Crazy the other day. Fortunately, <laughs> it asked me if it was, if I was sure, mm. and it turns out I wasn't sure. I was trying to spend one ninety nine, and my finger slipped, and I pressed the wrong button. But you hear these kind yes. of um, you hear these. I can't believe I just admitted to playing Cooking Crazy on there. But anyway, um, you, <laughs> you know, it's not your Candy Crush; it's something else. Yeah. But um, but but you know, they often have. Do you hear these tales occasionally of small children, sort of seven or eight? Or sometimes even younger that are allowed to play on iPads. You know, mm. one of them, one of them spent three thousand pounds on something once. Where yes. and and now when you go to download apps and it says how much they are, it will say this app, this offers in-app purchases, which is fine, but it doesn't necessarily stop anybody accidentally spending you know inordinate sums on these things. And and you know, in a way, I know it's not quite the same thing as gambling, but again, it's unregulated unre- to some extent, and it's and it's very easy easy to get hooked into spending a lot of money very quickly i think in uh, where we're saying oh that... sorry the point i was going to make about cooking craze is that you, you I, I feel this is relevant i mean it's embarrassing but it's relevant okay. you buy you, it's, it's my way of stress management at the moment you buy different restaurants and you have right. to make think meals for people that but they give you money and then you make more and more i mean in a way for someone that quite likes organizing things it's there's some there's some level of zen in making sure that pizzas don't burn and you put the right toppings on things given to people one of the um in-game <laughs> things that right. you can go to. I know you're laughing at me. I don't care. One of oh, these with games, you. I'm laughing with you. <laughs> oh, yes. I forget that. Well, when you go to one of those, one of the kind of in-game things, one of the in-game things is a casino. And so oh, the idea oh, is, no. is that you can collect coins and gems and they have different functions mm. and you spend your coins in the casino and you get achievements for how much money you spend in the casino oh, Lord, and well, and it's easy to quickly throw and that this is a game that is a cartoon game where you run restaurants God. and yet there is a way to gamble in this game and it is aimed at well i don't want to say children because that makes it even more embarrassing than it is already it's mm. aimed at adults as well but the idea is, is that it's sort of cartoony and 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 is presented as being you know sort of well, it's for simpletons, really, and I am a simpleton. But you know, but equally, it's you know the idea that the culture of gambling is is so insidious into that is just chilling. I think. I've just got one last bit to, I want to throw in on this. I, that you see, apps. I think are the, the, um, the beyond regulation. That the horse has and, bolted. And the stable and, and door can't be closed. And that is really that mm. is you know pretty shocking. I think. But in terms of areas that maybe can be regulated we have this notional watershed on british tv that nothing oh, of a yes, truly yes. adult nature can be broadcast before 9 p.m and i certainly and, and then literally at one minute past nine, it's, it, the, the, it goes nuts yeah. yeah but i certainly believe that the very minimum that a responsible government should do at the very least is introduce a ban on any gambling commercials before 9 p.m it won't fix the problem i, I know it won't yeah exactly but i can't but you're completely right mm. as often not always but often and <laughs> i can't I, I can't believe that doesn't happen already i don't, I, I, I don't me, understand me too but you know you can watch uh, a live football game on sky at 4 p.m on a sunday afternoon when uh, lots of children um uh, would be watching and there is our pal ray winston uh, berating us if we we don't splash out on his yeah, company 
The history of pop music is littered with woeful attempts at adapting classical music to a three-minute pop song. Um, <laughs> Hello There, The Beach Boys and Lady Linda uh, mm. as a pop song. But some work well. Uh, the Pet Shop Boys and Go West, Procol Harum, yes. White Shade of Pearl. This one... It's oh, the, and, uh, uh, William Orbit had that go at Bob's a dad for strings, didn't he? That wasn't bad. Worked really well, really mm. did. This one is the best of the lot. It's from Manfred Mann's Earth Band. I bring joy
No, I really, I really adore uh, that track. Yeah, I, I think it's it really, great. yeah, it really does live up to its title. It really does bring, you know, joy. I think, um, right, right from <laughs> yes, the, that's a, yeah, uh, yes, indeed, yeah. it's an enduring image. Yeah. That's uh, Noel Edmonds kind of introduction there. Um, right, <laughs> no, but it's right from the heart of the glam rock era as well in 1973. So it's sort of really lovely. Number nine in the UK top 40, Manfred Mann's Earth Band and, and Joybringer. I do like that, that's great. Mm. I'm not sure it happens at all nowadays, but back in the 1960s there was a tendency for some bands to be named after a musician in the band who wasn't the singer. Normally the singer is the name, like Mm. back then Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. Uh, But we had like the Dave Clark Five, where Dave Clark was the drummer, and Mm. the original Manfred Mann, where Manfred Mann was the keyboard player. Um, And now, bringing us up to date, Jules... We have in 2018 the Manfreds on tour, but perhaps oddly without Manfred Mann himself. Well, indeed, yes, that is strange. And funny you should say that bands that are not named after mm. after the singers necessarily, or perhaps the main people mm. in the band. Um, so the Manfreds, I went to see them for I think the fourth time the other week, Gosh. and very much enjoyed them. Saw the Mini Spawn. Mm. Um, often see them with, with sort of different people but it's the same lineup and it has been we were trying to remember how long we'd been going to see them and i remember that the guitarist was wearing an obama hope t-shirt when oh. we saw them once and it was before obama got in in 2008 so that's how long i've been going to see them and that guitarist is tom mcginnis of oh, mcginnis lovely. flint mm. who of course the main songwriting partnership in that band were gadigan and lyle so it just goes to show there was a, a trend for that sort of thing i saw them so so th- this lineup of the Manfred's features no Manfred band obviously mm. um, but a reasonable smashing of original members of the band you've got Paul Jones still singing you've got Mike Hug who was one of the two oh, keyboard players yes, originally yes. he still plays and he's you know is mm. great and still still looks a bit like Yul Brynner nowadays but he plays <laughs> keyboard very well um, the aforementioned Tom McGuinness he's still on guitar very cheery so he's, his his two numbers are always uh, well received by the crowds when I'm dead and oh, gone always is always quite yes. quite well embraced he's Molten Brown Blues as well well that's also excellent mm. and um the uh, mike darbo who interestingly him and paul jones were of course he was paul jones replacement when he were left for a sort of acting career yes. in, and solo career in the late 60s but the thing that i love about going to see the manfreds is they are essentially a, a bunch of older men having fun mm. that's essentially what they're doing they still play very well they still sing well but mike darbo and and paul jones are very respectful of each other and they often mm. sort of intri- get hype each other up when when the one that isn't <laughs> singing hypes up the one that is and sort of gets everyone here mike darbo or paul jones and they and when i saw them once not this time but previously mm. they did the semi-detached the suburb oh. mr james which i think was one of the first singles post paul jones mm. and paul jones actually told the story whilst laughing of how he thought it was written about him and apparently it was written about the fact that he'd gone and left them and you know they were like oh so you finally named the day mm. and it was originally called the semi-detached to the suburban mr jones but they changed it because they thought it was just a bit too obvious so <laughs> so that's the kind of and there's always there's always a bit usually just before the interval where paul jones with no shame at all flogs the various things that they have for sale at their merchandise <laughs> store and waves them and tells you all about them we saw them once and uh, as he was waving it was clear stage but as he was waving mm. and cheering about them they put um 
they put <laughs> they put them um, uh, there was a, a, a version of the only fools and horses van in the background uh-huh. that, had put, that had paul jones independent traders written on it <laughs> and a graphic on the back of the stage so you know yes it's it's a, a terribly staged but you know they, they play well they sing well people go because they really i tell you what whoever it was that did the playlist in in between the in between the various sort of halves of the show mm. there were some proper 60s bangers on there that you don't always hear very often it was really good and so i you know i some might say it's nostalgia that i've seen them four times the set list doesn't really change very much they do all the hits um but they do interesting they do mike darbo's tunes that he wrote as well oh, remember yeah. the first time i went to see it, he said i'm going to do a couple of songs that i've written now and i said oh for god's sake why do they always play mm-hmm. their old crap when you go and see them and it turned out those songs that i you know uncharitably dismissed mm. as old crap were handbags and grab rags yes. and uh, build me up buttercup so um so not uh, not bad those tunes really and i just um I, you know, I, I, it, I find it to be a wholesome leisure activity with my parents continually going to see the Manfreds. It's, 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 it sounds honest, genuinely delightful, absolutely it's lovely. A I would recommend it to, if you like that kind of. They call it maximum R and B. So mm. if you like rhythm and genuine rhythm and blues mm. style R and B, it's a good evening out. Well, life has a, a habit of, of of making you reevaluate, and I can remember going to see Paul Jones from the Manfreds or Manfred mm. Man when he started his own group, the Blues Band. And, mm, and they still play today, I think. Absolutely. And, this, and when I went to see him, it was in the early 80s. So uh, I, I remember thinking when we went to, to see the, you know, this blues, blues band at the Marquee Club, I was thinking, oh, this will be good to see a real veteran of the pop and blues scene before he gets too old to carry on. <laughs> and I kind of went with the mindset of seeing someone right in the twilight of his career. And I just checked today, actually, and he would have only have been in his late 30s. And I, oh, you know, I was no. thinking... Oh, you know, that Terrible, isn't it? It, and, and of course, your late thirties in 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 um, the nineteen eighties when pop was still young oh, yes, was con- was considered absolutely ancient in pop Geriatry, stardom terms. Yeah. Yes, yes. But there we are, um, thirty five <laughs> years later, and he, he's still going strong as as you described, he which is, is wonderful. And still in great shape as well. I mean, mm. he he was you know my mum said oh he's very thin, he's very mm. thin, Julia. And I went, no, he's quite thin. But actually, he seemed to be the most lithe and in good shape of all of them, really. So Mike Durbo has um, links to my local area, by the way. His uh, his mum lived in Bex Hill until she passed away and he um, when he when they played in Hastings once and she was in a nursing home he was given a piece of paper and he he read out the names of the staff that were kind to his mother at the nursing home oh, so I'm I'm very I'm wildly pro the Manfreds at all times I think 76 I think Paul Jones is uh, yes in, in good shape frankly inspiration for us all I have to say um, when when you're not in Eastbourne watching heritage acts from the 1960s when where might we catch you this week? Well, I mean, so so I can I can plug something in advance of what we're going to be doing next weekend. So yeah. I, I I think we might podcast before then. But in mm. case we don't, um, I, I'm very quiet this weekend mm. and, and during this week. I will be doing Indie Wonderland oh, on Wednesday evening from eight till ten pm. Um, barricaderadio.com, Indie Old Rock and Miscellaneous. And then on Saturday the tenth, I am playing at the Rebel Rebel Festival Ooh. in Hitchin. You can look that up online My on Facebook. There's word. a Facebook thing. It's an all day thing. It's a it's a repeat of the Indie Rock 
Rock and Roll Festival that we did mm. last year. So I'm playing with my band Go Bird and we're hoping for that to be the launch of our mini album, Mrs. Oh Punch is Not For Sale. Goodness so uh, so yeah, so so that is possibly happening. Mrs. Punch might be for sale if we can get it to the printer in time. But um, I'm DJing <laughs> there as well. But there are lots of bands oh. playing. Lots of indie bands. Pop Guns are playing, I think. Our friends the Catenary Wires. Uh, lots of lots of bands playing, all for a good cause. So I would recommend that you get on down to Hitchin to that if need. Hitchin like in Hertfordshire. Yeah, Hitchin is bitching, as my friend mm. put it. Yeah, do go down <laughs> and see it. It would be good. Thanks to you for listening. And um, th- thanks to executive producers uh, Rona and Hilly. And um, it's, on the day we're recording this, it's Rona's birthday. Oh, happy birthday to Rona. I would have picked happy birthday but altered images had I known. So imagine that, Ro. And as if seeing Paul Jones, Mike Darbo and Tom McGuinness wasn't enough, you saw a genuine legend supporting yes. the Manfreds. Well, they often have a full supporting bill. And even when they don't, they have a, a bills as a special guest. And he was a genuine special mm. guest. And A, he's a legend. And B, he guested with them. So he would sing oh, and brilliant. play the piano. And they all backed him. And that chat was Georgie Fame. And he, we talk about people sort of ageing. Mm. He's 75, I believe. And he's not a big man at all. He's quite small. Mm. And uh, both in, in height and in stature. And he... Um, he sort of shuffled on and I thought oh no and you know and he sort of had to be slightly helped to the keyboard and I thought oh this isn't going to be good and I love Georgie fame and he started singing and playing and I shut my eyes and particularly this track it was like he had it's like no time had passed at all he sounded exactly the same as he always did he was very funny um he played all of his sort of big ones he he interesting fact about georgie mm. fame um it's quite a specific statistic but um so he's had three top 10 hits right. in the uk and all of those top 10 hits have been number ones wow and apparently he's i'm just checking this now but he is apparently the only person to do that this is a one of those sort of slightly strange he's the only british pop star to have achieved three number one hits with his only top 10 chart entries oh gosh uh, so those yeah. three were getaway uh, which he described as his oh, pension yeah. plan when he played it um the ballad of bonnie and clyde which he did by himself and he came back on after the interval uh, the only person to come back on after the interval straight away and he was wearing a t-shirt that said it's okay i'm with the band which i was rather <laughs> charmed by and uh, and said oh well i'm the one that's been nominated to play everybody back in from the interval and did bonnie and clyde by himself he did some lovely covers he did moon dance by his friend van morrison which was excellent and uh, and also um a nice version of um uh, Midnight Train to Georgia, I think. Oh, or, uh, right. oh no, 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 not that one. The mm. other Georgia one, Georgia on my mind. Georgia he on did my that, mind. And it was right. lovely. But he did this song, and it was a joy to hear this song live. He was brilliant. They, they clearly were very respectful of him, even though he was their age. They were quite deferential <laughs> towards him, which was quite sweet. And uh, I'm, I, you know, I love this song. I still play it regularly in my DJ sets. I did last Saturday near the beginning, and uh, people are always glad to hear it. Whenever I play this, there's always someone that comes up and goes, "Oh, I really like this. I haven't heard this in ages." And it, it, it's always that and once in a lifetime by talking heads are always the, the, the records that, that achieve most interaction with the crowd so uh, this is georgie fame and this is well, it was his debut number one hit yeah yeah every evening when all my days work a suit i my baby and let's go watch her with you i met some movies but she don't seem to be dead and then she asks me why don't i come through a flat and have some supper and let the evening pass by taking records besides a groovy high five i say yeah yeah that's what I say, I say yeah, yeah My baby loves me, she gets me feeling so fine She loves me, 
She makes me know that she's mine And when she kisses I feel the fire get hot She never misses She gives it all that she's got And when she asks me If everything is okay I got my answer The only thing I can say I say yeah yeah That's what I say I say yeah yeah And turn the lights down on soda, knock and see We gotta do that, we gotta do that We gotta do that, we gotta do that And there'll be no one else alive in all the world Except you and me Never knew such a thrill, it's hard to tell you Because I'm trembling so But pretty baby, I want you off of my own I'm ready to leave those others alone No need to ask me if everything is okay I got my answer, the only thing I can say I say yeah yeah, that's what I say I say yeah yeah, that's what I say Yeah yeah You have been listening to a DACA Media Production.